0: You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 gaming podcast covering board games, to war games, and beyond.
1: And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. We got a full compliment today, boys.
0: Yes, sir. The bridge is full.
1: I, of course, am your host, Justin, here with Jason and Dan. We welcome you to Tabletop and Beyond, and we got an interesting topic for you today, one that we decided literally five minutes ago, so we are excited to talk about it, actually. It's world building today.
2: And we are so loquacious that we can just cover this topic with absolutely zero prep.
1: Did you just say loquacious?
2: Loquacious. That oh. means we like to tiki taki tiki tiki talk.
1: I thought you were talking about my friend John Luc Picard.
2: John Luc Picard. John
1: Luc. Locutious. Locutious.
2: Locutious of bulk.
1: Yes, exactly. So well, like um, yeah, great. Well, let's get started. Jason, you were out of town, but how was your geek week?
0: Uh, I've, I'm going to... I'm going to uh, say two things or three things for my geek week because I've missed, I missed, I was out of town and then I missed another week before prior, I think. But uh, uh-huh. so, yeah, we, uh, we it, were aware. We were aware. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one I did not just space. I was actually out of town. <laughs> <laughs> you, missed, you missed us
2: going so long winded on Star Wars that I don't, it's I true. think uh, we're going to lose some listeners yeah. going, dude, these guys talked a little too much about Star Wars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, Uh yeah okay so uh, in anticipation of the uh, remaster of Mass Effect one through three I got excited a couple weeks ago and booted up Mass Effect one and started playing it through again nice and uh, I'm about you know I got about nine hours into it man and just loving it again all over again just really enjoying the story and the you know one thing that really does it for me on the Mass Effect universe is the um, the uh, the music. I feel like the oh, music yeah. is very eclectic, and the like
2: the 1980s soundtrack is yeah. legit solid.
0: It's pretty, in fact, so much so that when the first Mass Effect game came out, I would if you if those of you who've played it, when you're in your ship and you're choosing like the map to go to Wix Galaxy, there's a there's a certain amount of music when you open the map that just starts playing in the background. Mm-hmm. And I used to t- when I was getting late at night, uh, I used to just open the map and fall asleep to that music because yeah. I just loved it so much. And uh, I even yeah. wrote the. Uh, I don't remember his name. I wrote the uh, the composer an oh. email or a letter and was like, "Dude, your music is awesome! Like, it's really like set the stage for the game." But uh, nice, never heard straight. back from him. But <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> Anyways, um yeah, they're busy.
2: It's it, those artists do like to be recognized, even if they don't respond. And that 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 particular soundtrack references Blade Runner and a lot of those, oh, you yeah. know, uh, Terminator you know that those really great 80 sci-fi uh, movies that did not have an orchestral classical soundtrack they went the opposite way they went synth- they went they did synthesizer soundtracks yeah mm-hmm. and it really drives home a very cool feel and that really adds to mass effect a
0: lot yeah for sure yeah very very cool um, in fact i remember years ago during when mass effect 1 was still out and everybody was still playing through it and talking about their choices and stuff uh, you know i'm a big metalhead and um at one point we were at work and it was like someone just said randomly, All right, dude, everybody list off the C D that is currently in your car. And you know, people listen off like, you know, these mainstream CDs and The BGs. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm not that old. <laughs> but uh, uh you know, I usually enjoy that A-track. because when it gets to me I can say something, you know, like uh uh or, you know, opeth or something like that. But um they got to me and I paused and I was like, oh, uh, actually, the sound effect for Mass Effect 1. Because <laughs> 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 I had bought I went out and awesome. bought it and was listening to it on my way to work. Nice. Anyways, so playing that game again, which I probably should have waited because once the remaster comes out, I'm pretty sure my save game is most likely not going to transfer over and I'll probably start over, but that's okay. Um,. And then uh, uh, I also, uh, one day I came home from work and everybody was gone for some reason, just of various activities. And so I had to house myself. So I sat down for two hours and I watched, uh, booted up an old movie that was a favorite of mine growing up. And that's Escape from New York, Kurt Russell. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Snake.
0: Dude, yep, Snake. Uh, and dude, it held up. Does it really? But it held up. I need to go back and watch it. it escape so from fun. L.A.
1: was so lame. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, but Escape but, from New York was legit. Oh man, it was
0: uh, it was so much fun. I just like I think I had a grin on my face for two hours straight. Just oh gosh, I gotta go watch it. And it's, so, it's 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 one of those movies that like there's not a whole ton of like important dialogue. It's just the whole like dystopian feel of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: So we talked a little bit like, a couple weeks ago about They Live with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh huh. Right, right. Right. And um. <laughs> And it's so funny because a random guy just posted, like, a montage of, you know, Roddy Piper on there. And I'm just like, dude, I literally just, like, like what is it? I literally just watched that movie, and, like, now he's, like, everywhere.
0: He's it's everywhere weird. on your tailored web feed. Well, it
1: was, but, I mean, it was, like, some, one of my Facebook <laughs> you, friends posted it. So it oh, wasn't okay, like okay. it was a random Facebook ad or something like that. It was, like, one go. of my friends posted it. So,
0: it's, it's kind of probably funny. because Google has tailored your friends with the same feeds that you. Good have. point. Oh,
2: Good let's point. not get so paranoid. <laughs> it gets deeper. It gets deeper. Just, all right. Let's just say coincidences exi- okay. do exist in the universe. No, they don't, because we've wavelength. all
1: seen devs. They don't exist, because we all seen devs. <laughs> we've all seen devs. We <laughs>
2: haven't done our devs podcast. Oh, yet. we need to.
1: We need oh, to. Oh
0: yes. All right. I need uh, to rewatch lesson... it almost.
1: Okay, go. Go. My last thing
0: is uh uh I had a work trip down in Florida and when I at the tail end of that work trip I, you know, I said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to spend some much needed, you know, brownie point time with my wife. I need to get some more brownie points. So I flew her down to Florida and we went to Universal Studios together for a couple of days. Uh, and we went cuz she's fan. yo, huge Potter fan and she yeah. always talks to me about it. So I said, "Babe, I'm going to be down cuz I was working down in Tampa." So I'm going to be down in Tampa like you know, all weeks. I'm finishing up Thursday evening. Why don't you fly down Thursday night? We'll spend Friday, Saturday, Sunday at uh, Harry Potter World, and you can show me all the stuff you really love. And she was like, <gasps> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, nice. so man, yeah. So, so I, you know, I spent the last couple days kind of down there, having kicking it with my wife, uh, riding Harry Potter rides and, and stuff. Man, let me tell you, the the Hagrid motorbike ride, whatever that thing's called, yeah, yeah that yeah. is an amazing roller coaster. It is awesome and what else is great about it is it's all built around this like you know old like uh rubble uh ruined castle feel and you know you're in line for some stupid amount of time right to get on this ride and i'm just taking pictures the whole time i'm like that would be
2: a great idea for a piece yeah. of terrain for me <laughs> and just
0: and, and annie's annie's like i didn't even think about that the whole time i was in here yeah like you would totally geek out over like you know, using this as a backdrop for for your wargaming and stuff. And, yeah, so great ride, man, and, and a lot of fun. It's super – tell you what's fun about it? Is a lot of roller coasters you get on and you just – you know, you get on the roller coaster, they push the go button, and it's like, you know, 30 to 60 seconds of thrill riding, and then you come to a halt, right? This roller coaster is fun because there are, like, there are sections of the roller coaster. Like, it'll be 30 seconds of, like – speeding and doing crazy roller coaster stuff and then it stops and switches it up like you know those roller coasters that'll look like they're coming to an end and they'll go backwards on the same track for like 20 seconds and then there's like a crazy drop and then another acceleration so it's just an interesting ride all around so highly recommend it is i would say it's definitely worth you know a 60 minute wait in line some people would probably sit in it for two hours i'm not that kind of guy but definitely a lot of fun that was my geek week
1: that's nice. great. It's very good. Very good. Dan, how about you?
2: Um, in the world of upgrading hardware in my house, I got my wife a MacBook Air M1. And if anybody remembers uh, who was involved in the last Apple transition to Intel, now we're transitioning off of Intel. We were on PowerPC before, and they had this thing called Rosetta where you could like emulate the old um, software in Rosetta. And so I tried the new Rosetta, the, uh, the M1 emulation of x86 um, on my son's Roblox thing. And in about, th- you know, two clicks and then I agreed to do Rosetta and that, that took about 30 seconds. That thing was emulating. He cannot tell the difference between machines and that, that, that M1 is freaking crazy responsive fast. It's just a little... Um, you know, thousand dollar MacBook Air. It's lower on the uh, on the on the line. So, um, getting a lot of use out of that. That also meant there was an old uh, Mac Mini that I've appropriated to be my own. That was the family computer. So th- that's been uh, its own wonderful uh, adventure in and of itself.
0: Um, hey, quick question for you, mm-hmm. Dan, because you're an yeah. Apple uh, kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think um, they are migrating away from Intel?
2: uh well that now they own the whole stack they you know they're not beholden to vertical integration yeah they're not beholden to intel's ability to innovate for them to put out new products and so and then there's obviously they the m1 products are strangely more affordable wink wink because i think intel's not getting a cut and they're pricing the equipment to where you know they they can they can they better control over the pricing they better control over the performance and now it's not just the hardware has been designed around the OS and the software; it's the it's the processors too. So the silicon, yeah. the silicon is meant to run a specific OS. I mean that's that's pretty sweet stuff. And man, these things are responsive. I do put a little extra RAM in there. Um, nate's pal i hope he's listening adam is uh, an employee at a certain fruit based computer company and he is very helpful to me when i'm buying um so
1: they have friends i've never heard of dragon fruit before dragon
0: yeah yeah i was thinking pear yeah
2: exactly so or he works for the banana computer company that's from Boone county right so anyway um so i usually uh, I don't get the amount. I don't get the lowest amount of RAM. I custom order them because they, there's only one time to put RAM on those things now because they're mm. soldered okay. on. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So I, I pretty much max always max it out or close to max it out, um, and I always have a pretty good result on it. But a lot of people were saying they hadn't been pushing the RAM on the M1s because the 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 default configuration has been so peppy and the the RAM. Um, Choke point hasn't been that big of a deal on this architecture. So nonetheless, um, it's working out great for the family and it's been a, a great little laptop computer. And um, yeah, so thank cool. you so much for I- entertaining my 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 moment of Apple geekdom. I, I mean, I was using Macs a long, long time ago in a Galaxy. I was using the very first Macs and, my father always had Macs and we did computer graphics and he, I was, I worked on Photoshop version one PageMaker version version one. I mean a lot uh, illustrator version one. I learned all those software packages when they were the absolute newest. So I
0: cool. think most of us probably, you know, cause Macs were definitely like, you know, the wheel of fortune jeopardy game in the computer library at school. Yeah, it was like seemed like to be the first computers. I you know I grew up on I grew up on Commodore sixty four one twenty eight, yeah. mm-hmm. but um, definitely messed around with Max in the uh, in the educational system before yep. I even you know got my hand on an IBM at the time. Yeah. It's what you would call it an IBM because it right. seemed to be you know. But uh, yeah, cool, very cool. I think we're starting to see a lot more vertical integration with these big companies. They're saying you know we can keep doing these uh, strategic partnerships. But, you know, it's all about cutting the cost down on their cogs, their cost of goods and mm-hmm. services. Mm-hmm. And um, with with the amount of financial power and, you know, ability to reinvest in themselves, they're, you know, able to kind of like gobble up all aspects of the chain for optimization. It's now, interesting. And the, and the other thing yeah.
2: that this move did, and I didn't mention this before, is it brought all of their um, iOS software onto, onto their um, computing platform. So you can run all of the iPhone, iPad apps natively on the...
0: Oh, there you go. Yeah, you know, got it. And
2: that's that's where the bread and butter is, and that's where people are spending their money on competing powers on their phones. And now they're, they've are they intertwined those in an amazing little double helix. And so far, I mean, just by... It was my one test was Roblox, couple clicks. The thing happened so fast it was loading up. It, fi- it figured out his credentials. He was on there. It was like it was like a 15 second delay then that, that that he that he had to spend to to for me to download that thing and for him to get into Rosetta and for him to be playing his game now trust me i'm not running high frame rate you know you know first person shooter games on real rigs but as far as just an average dad user so far uh, 10 thumbs up
0: Yeah, I think Apple knows their market, right? And like, I'm an, I'm, uh, when it comes to phones, I've always been an Android, and we can get in that debate later. But uh, regardless, I still very much appreciate Apple paying attention to who their market is and focusing on their market. Yeah. Uh, And I think they do a good job of that.
2: Yeah, and the walled garden is a nice garden. It is a walled garden, but when it's taken care of very well, it yeah, it, mm-hmm. it keeps you coming back for more. My other yep. Geek Week was a, this is a, a Mac arcade game. I've been playing Space Land because. I sometimes run out of, I get bored of my Star Wars <laughs> Galaxy of Heroes I was going to say, did you, did
0: you run out of uh, you know, microtransaction currency there? Or? I
2: finally spent my first $10 on that game because I got kind of impatient. I had to upgrade Obi-Wan ah. Kenobi to a level, and I had not spent a nickel on it for a year. I spent ten dollars on it, and my wife, always in front of my teenage daughter, calls me out for <laughs> buying for buying Jedi crystals. And I'm like, God, I just, Obi, I needed Obi Wan to be in my my, uh, you know, my arena squad, and he just was behind. He was lagging anyway. So, Space Line is really good. It's like, um, uh, it's like uh, XCOM from the good old days. It's just, it's a little more cartoony. It's a sci-fi game where you have different. Uh, squad uh, members of your squad and you have to get through every level and make sure all your squad guys are doing the right thing and kill aliens it's 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 good fun and uh, so if you have an uh, iPhone and uh, you're looking for kind of an XCOM a fun version a, a lighthearted version of XCOM I uh, will point you towards Spaceland it's good
0: cool
1: very cool very good that's
2: my good week
1: nice nice uh mine was uh my week was kind of busy like i'm coaching my kids rugby team now so that's got me busy a couple like three days a week you know and and stuff like that but um we were able to finally sneak in rocky four um as our sunday movie night um we started i will break you i will break you um We, uh, we started Rocky one before we went to Philadelphia a couple weeks ago and did the Rocky statue. My kids hated Rocky one. Like they hated it with a passion. And you know, what's funny is I remember having a similar reaction when I watched it, when I was in high school thinking like this movie sucks, you know, like it's just not good. Like, and he loses in the end, spoiler alert. He loses in the end, you know, I'm like, what the heck? But after I watched it as like an adult, I'm like, that was a pretty good movie. Like I, I, enjoyed it like a lot more. I think because I, I you know, am older and have a different perspective. And Rocky Two was similar. And then you get into like the awesomeness that is like Rocky Three with Clever Lang and Mr. T. And then Rocky Four, of course, against Ivan Drago and Russia, where he defeats Ivan Drago and communism together. You know, it's amazing. Um, it
2: has the best prep montage ever oh when he's preparing for that fight and then he's out on a farm in russia snow and he's like like hauling tractors with chains and (laughs) like ivan Ivan drago is like in this advanced russian you know sports facility oh no it's an american sports facility oh that's right and he's like
1: he's doping up too and rocky's just like (laughs) i'm pure like lifting rocks with nets you know, and, like, I mean, it's great. Like, it's it's fantastic. Um, but what I loved about it is that, you know, I understand that my kids didn't like Rocky 1 or 2 that much. They liked Rocky 3 a lot, but they loved Rocky 4. They loved it. Like, to the point that they were singing Survivor's Burning Heart at the end, you know, no. like in the burning heart <laughs> that's about to burst, you know. I mean, they're like, Rocky five's a big letdown, guys. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So, here's what I did I said, we need to know because I am going to show them Creed, um, because that is a great movie. I love Creed a lot. Creed um, is
0: a good movie, yeah. Yeah,
1: Creed is such a good movie, and, um, But I said, you guys need to know what happens because there is a lot that happens between Rocky 5 and Creed. So I did like one of those YouTube like recap in two minutes, Rocky 5 and Balboa, Rocky Balboa. And the kids are like, yeah, we're good with that because like they're like, that sounds like such a stupid movie. I'm like, it was really bad, like really, really bad. And it's kind of sad. But Creed brought it back creed you know and so i'm excited to show them that but it was good it was good to go back and watch the whole series again i had forgot how much i really liked the series as a whole um you know like especially rocky three i i you know there's so many iconic moments in that that people think are part of the first rocky or maybe even two but it's really like three cements a lot of it so good stuff uh my other geek week thing is that i've been um getting ready to take an online javascript programming course fun uh because i i want to start doing some blockchain development and since i am good with words and not with code i need to learn to enter the code so
0: you're very loquacious
1: yes yes Locutious (laughs) Locutious Luc- Locutious <laughs> <Love. laughs> So um, So yeah I, I, I've I been looking into a Java course thing uh, My wife's going to be out of town this weekend I think I'm going to plow through some of that stuff And hopefully by the end of the week Be advanced enough to start Working on um, The language for the Ethereum Blockchain So Sweet, we'll see dude. how that goes yeah.
0: yep. So
1: excited about that yeah, that's gonna Buckle up.
0: Quick. Buckle up. Don't hold back, man. I, and ask questions if you got them. I
1: Stack will. Over,
0: Stack Overflow is your friend. Just don't post anything on Skype before you'll get flamed. <laughs>
1: yeah, sometimes <laughs> I'm like, that poor soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, lo- I lo- love. Uh, yeah. Anyways, it's, in all communities, in all social communities.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a jerk exactly. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Dan, we're ready for the news, buddy.
2: Tabletop and Beyond News, 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 News. Hi, and this is coming to you tonight from from our corporate headquarters. Uh, the Game Manufacturers Association (GAMA) announced the return of the Gamma Trade Expo in 2022 nice. in a hybrid online and in-person format from March 14th to the 18th in 2022. The event will take place at the Pepper Mill Resort and Casino in Reno, Nevada, along oh, with no. the extended online events. I was like, oh, yeah, no. oh, this sounds
1: awesome. Okay. Listen, guys, guys, I don't know. <laughs> I know the (laughs) Peppermill. You don't want to host events at the Peppermill. The
2: Peppermill on the Nevada... Let's just say,
1: if you've got the choice, do it virtual. (laughs) Do it virtual.
2: So (laughs) let me say this. In like 2004, I organized an entire huge family reunion, and we used the Peppermill, the one that's on the Utah-Nevada border.
1: Oh, yeah, in Wendover. I
2: I booked the entire... golf lounge area for two days straight uh, okay. with it had kitchens and couches and and bumper pool and pool and everything tvs and yeah. everybody got to like book a room for 25 bucks a night yep yep and and so
1: i only spent like a- because the, the pepper mill on the nevada utah border in wendover nevada is a glorified truck stop
2: Yes. Okay. And of course they had a buffet and a couple other restaurants. So I, we went there as a family, like we had all these families show up because everybody was pinching. You had to come up with something super cheap. You had to come yeah. up with 25 bucks a night. Otherwise they would go, well, can, yeah. do do we have to, or can we, can we you know do something else? So Anyway, the price could be beat. I only spent a few hundred bucks to rent that whole thing for a few days. <laughs> and even then, after all of the rooms we had booked, after all the space we had booked, everybody's like, so Dan, I'm not sure if you had a good deal.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, we're glad we got all the space, but this didn't, um, we thought we were getting something else. So anyway, it's okay. Yeah. Pepper Mill. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you grew up in Nevada, you, somebody, you, everybody has a bad Peppermill story. Oh, it's gosh. like a magnet of weirdness. But let me get back into the news. Uh, the GMA trade show was the last major in-person convention as the pandemic and the association lockdowns began in March of 2020. The lack of an in-person convention hurt the trade organization, which reported a massive decrease in revenue over uh, uh, revenue over uh, 2019 from 2.4 million down to eight hundred and ten thousand dollars the first in-person convention for the organization since then will be the origins game Fair from September 30 to October 3rd in Columbus Ohio
1: oh I didn't know that they kicked out origins to September yeah
2: yeah. So that's another little tidbit. So if we're if, we, if we're Con rubbing is, our I palms think like, palms together about origins, we can. Gen Con's like two
1: time. weeks before that, right? Like September sixteenth yeah. or something like that. They mm-hmm.
2: they they group a little too close for my comfort always, but what can you do?
1: Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, okay, it's interesting. Interesting.
2: So yeah, Game Manufacturers Association is getting back on their feet and doing it in person again.
1: So cool. there you go. That's good. All right. What's Uh, interesting about them hosting it in Nevada, and this is just a little aside, is there's a lot of gaming in Nevada, but not the gaming that we're talking about. It's the gambling gaming. And you hear a lot of times, like, here, there's a gaming convention in Nevada. And you're like, ooh, oh. Oh. You know, because then you realize (laughs) it's like, oh, like, how can we... Build better slot machines that steal people's money more, you know. So. When you
2: when you grow up in Las Vegas like I did, every time you hear gaming, it always has a double meaning. And you always totally. have to drill into the context to
1: figure out what people are talking about. When you say gaming.
2: Well, and that's of, one of the reasons yeah. why, like, works, like, filter out gaming websites. It's not because yeah. board games are evil. It's because, you know, companies don't want people playing poker online during work
1: yeah. hours. Yeah, that's true.
2: All right, uh, last, second and last news item. Wizards of the Coast released a new Unearthed Arcana playtest packet for new draconic options. Mm-hmm. The specific dra- draconic options are new variants for dragonborn and a playable version of kobolds. The dragonborn option options include chromatic, metallic, and gem ancestries. Each ancestry includes a breath of weapon and uh, resistance to a specific damage type, And each of the three also has a unique ability. Kobolds are small humanoids with a walk speed of 30 feet, dark vision, and a choice of three different draconic legacy options, advantage on saves against fear, a cantrip spell, or the ability to make tail attacks. And a draconic roar ability that grants yourself and allies advantage on attacks against enemies. There are also three new feats that allow you to tap into the power of the three different dragon types. And there is a selection of seven new spells ranging from levels second to seventh with draconic themes. So if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and you're too wussy to kill a dragon, you can play a dragon. You can even play a kobold.
1: I remember um, starting out as a new DM and kind of like figuring out like, okay, how do I run this thing, you know? And there was, a, and I'm going to probably butcher this, but there was this guy that had written this whole thing about um, kobolds. And it was, like, basically, um, like, the the like, the like most effective way to run kobolds. And he had this whole, like, layout of, like, traps and, like, bolt holes. And, like, I yeah. mean, it's like if your heroes ran into here against the kobolds, like, they were going to die like so fast because these guys were like super crafty and sneaky and like, yeah. you know, like they thought that they were dumb little, little dragons, but they're really like gremlins out there, you know? Yeah. No, so. um,
2: there's a, a, a book out there on, uh, I've seen it on Amazon, which is the monsters aren't stupid, which is tactics and D and D for different monsters and how the monsters survive because they have specific skills and they're good mm-hmm. at certain things. And as if the DM if you're not thinking through how the monster is good at fighting and it's just a, a, a wall standing there to be knocked on with a sword, then you may not be be pushing it as far as you could be.
1: Right. Yep. There's also a blog about that. That might be an interesting podcast topic. Yeah. yeah. How to run your monsters. Oh, there we go, Jason. Let's mark it down.
2: So. Uh, Got it. Uh, the um, the quantity uh, quantity has a quality all its own. I think that's a Winston Churchill quote. No, that's a Napoleon quote. Quantity has a quality all its own. So I ran Star Wars, my Force and Destiny campaign, two nights ago, and the guys are getting pretty good. Where you know they can pretty much hack through you know anything with their lightsabers, but. I had them outnumbered four to one with basic generic level one stormtroopers, and they got the uh-huh. they got this not ripped out of them. They, you know, the healer was bouncing from guy to guy, picking them up, getting them back into the fight. Because it was it, it it's interesting, and kobolds kind of fall into that, you know, as yeah. being the the cannon fodder of D and D. It's like yep. so, if you are if you if you if the story if quantity is part of the story, you can do really interesting things to high high level characters.
1: I wrote a um dm or, or sorry, I wrote a um shout of the demon Lord campaign for our last guild con that we never I never ended up running, but it was a zombie horde horror story, and so there was gonna be a lot of zombies coming out and those are like bottom tier like you know bad guys, but man you get swarmed by them and it gets bad real fast, yeah, you know
2: yeah 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 so. Anywho, cobalt stormtroopers, zombies, dude, uh, you know, if, if your guy's thinking they're all that in a bag of potato chips, quadruple the number of bad guys you would have thrown at them, and you'll see you'll see a very different scenario play out.
1: Yeah.
0: You mean break the uh, challenge rating of the encounter?
2: <laughs> oh, don't get me started on challenge ratings. And then, and then I know, it's, I'm like, say, it's like, up, oh, upgrade you, you killed those rating. four?
1: You killed those four? Ten more show up. Ten more show up. Twelve more show up.
2: Yeah, one guy called in reinforcements. The last guy you didn't kill.
0: At some point the player suspects and says, wait a minute. (laughs) What's happening here?
2: (laughs) Yeah, don't get me on challenge ratings, Jay. Don't get me on that. That's a Yeah,
0: I think I remember uh when I was first DMing back in the day in D and third edition or something, it was always saying like uh you know, the every encounter should deplete something like thirty percent of your players' resources. So that they can basically have somewhere around three to four encounters before they are forced to have a rest. Not because they couldn't take on the next counter, you know, by prowess, but just because they don't have the resources. They're either out of spells or any of their daily, you know, things. But um I always thought that was an interesting way to kind of pace the uh the nightly events. Yeah. So at the end of the day, if you just throw, you can keep throwing, you know, ants at someone and eventually after the billionth ant hits, they're just not going to have anything to throw back at the ants. It's true.
2: Right. Yeah. And so some game designs are like for instance, if your armor class or your reflex defense depending on which version of what game you're playing is so high that the ants can yeah, never right. sting you and you'd be and I, you'd pick up like I'd pick up you know, ten d twenties and roll ten at the same time and just look for the uh, the nat twenty. Look for the crits. Yeah. Look for the nat twenties and then just adjudicate those because you know everything else is just bouncing off. I find that as a game design a little, a little too Aeon Flux, a little too video game, a little too run through one guy runs through level after level after level and barely you know mm-hmm. as a nosebleed.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, know what happens at the end of every Aeon Flux episode?
2: Yeah, she dies.
0: Yep. <laughs>
1: <gasps> Spoiler alert, Spoiler guys. Alert. It's only been out <laughs> since, like, 1993. 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, on I have it. never seen it, so thanks a lot. Oh, well, you should still watch
2: it. It's still good. And I she should. keeps coming yeah, back to life, and they don't explain it. So, <laughs> That's awesome. Good that's deal. Awesome. All right, so that's the news.
1: Thank you, Dan, for the news. News, news.
2: Don't we snooze appreciate through it. the news.
1: All right, so we our main topic today is going to be talking about world building and kind of its importance in all of our gaming aspects. So, uh, Dan, why don't you kick us off? What is world building and why should we care? Sometimes we talk
2: about IPs or the lore behind what mm-hmm. we're doing, and um, it, it's basically the story that fills in the space. You, know, you can think of games that have absolutely no lore, no story, You know, like Hangman, (laughs) even Hangman has, oh, we're gonna hang a guy. You know, (laughs) Tic-Tac-Toe probably has no lore. As much as we hate Monopoly, it's still really about, you know, buying property in the 1920s. So there's something, everything has a little bit of story to it. And uh, in gaming, it's really important. It's important, obviously, RPGs are more story-driven, but it's really important tabletop games and video games as well. I mean, everything needs, a reason why you want to suspend disbelief to enter that universe and some yeah, think, some ips are better than others and we'll talk about that i'm sorry didn't talk over you go for it
1: no it's okay I, I was gonna say i think that when you've got good world board world building in a board game or video game or, or whatever you're playing um it helps it helps give context to the why like why are we playing this why mm. are we doing this you know what i mean mm. and so um like when <laughs> you Just know what the
0: kids with hangman well, why, why are we hanging this, why are we hanging uh, this guy? Because can't you can't figure out, figure out, the, figure world, out the word. Because yeah. you can't figure out the word. That's why we have to hang <laughs> this we man. Hang him? He <laughs> figure out the store. world or he dies. You can get hanged for robbing a store? Well, um, he killed someone he was robbing yeah. a store. Oh,
1: oh. oh, okay. Can you spell <laughs> What's store? What does this have to do with the word apple? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can spell it, he's saved. He's yeah. saved. <laughs> so be so you so can the guy, after. but if
0: you can spell apple
1: yeah so the world building definitely gives some some you know context around the why you know i mean the why is going to be in the mechanics of the game and mm-hmm. the plot and the storyline right but the world building helps kind of like you said fill in those gaps and really give um the background that's there so uh just thinking about i mean like off the top of my head i was thinking about the game portal when Mm. you were just talking. Yeah. And I love that game. It's a great game. Um, It's a puzzle game at its heart of it. Uh, And they, you know, the only why that they give you is, well, you have to do these tests. Because I have to see who who does it, right? And, like, that is literally the why that you do it. You're like, okay. But then as you, like, go through and you start seeing, like, or hearing the responses from the, you know, the, the robot that's talking. And you've seen like the scrawls of blood on the walls and things like that about cake and cake being a lie mm-hmm. and all that stuff, you know, you start to get a world of like, Oh, this robot's out to kill me. And yeah. <laughs> my only way out of here is if I can pass these puzzles without dying, you know, and, um, and all of a sudden that world building, started to fill in the the gaps that were missing from the very first mission which is like um do these puzzles and you get cake like that's literally the the <laughs> why of the game you know and then by the <laughs> end you're just like i gotta get out of this place there's psychos in here yeah you know so like, like, like that that was some great, cheese yeah it was some great i mean what it was super simple world building but it it did its job and it filled in the gaps of the why yeah you know, it gave context and backdrop. Mm. It's a good
0: Excellent. example too, because if you ever go back and play that game from the beginning, at some point you start to realize why are all the observation rooms have empty chairs in them? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like from the very beginning.
1: Huh. You know? Yeah,
2: something doesn't feel right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. great. It's good. So, let's talk about IPs that are are interesting that we keep going back to we've talked about many on the uh, on this podcast that we love and are near and dear to our hearts mm-hmm. and going back a ways i mean as long as people have been telling stories there's been ips you know you can go all the way back to uh, mythology but you know i think you look at the world building that tolkien did because tolkien did some amazing world building before he even started writing the fiction right he understood the he, he had a love of languages, and he wrote Elvish, and he wrote Dwarven, and he started writing all these languages and had an idea of what the backstory of the world would be like, and so when he did start writing The Hobbit, when he did start writing The Lord of the Rings, then he was already standing on top of massive amounts of world building, massive amounts of yeah. other stories that he had written off. And so he put these characters, he put Bilbo in the Hobbit, and he put you know the, the main protagonists in, in in Lord of the Rings in a fully fleshed out world. And that's kinda of one of the beauties of going to Tolkien is knowing that you can turn you can you, you can turn the camera in any direction and there's still more depth everywhere you go um it's it's the 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 lore is so deep and so rich you know you, there are people who are professionals they make their money off of studying tolkien languages today they, they, and there's not very many of them but that actually exists
1: so here's an here's an interesting thought here um which is uh we're going to talk about the MCU right And comics and i think this is a nice juxtaposition with um with tolkien because Tolkien built his world before he wrote his stories. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and you can see it in his notes, like he would, you know, talk about this part of the world and kind of develop that and then he'd work on a different part of the world and develop that and then start to, you know, put together the connective tissue and then by the time he started really writing his books, like he had history, he had backstory, he had all this stuff yeah. and it, it it the adventure almost wrote itself at that point mm. because there was so much that was going on. Uh, contrast that with like a comic, um, which is, you know, you've got like, let's, let's just take uh, like Spider-Man comics. Um, They exist within the universe, but they kind of build their own worlds as they go along. Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh, the first issue of Spider-Man doesn't do a lot of world building. I mean, you find out no. who the villain is, you find out what's going on. And it's not until, like, comic 50 that you're like, okay, well, there's been all this established history throughout all the different comics that when bad guy number four, when, you know, um, Doc Ock shows up for the third time there's history and world building of like why he's doing things that you don't need to explore the third time he comes up mm-hmm. because he brings all that baggage into the, into the comic, you know? And so that, that way of world building is almost, um, a uh, stream of conscious. Like, yeah. I, I and, mean, and it's Spider-Man did something
2: know. unique by placing Spider-Man in New York city instead of Metropolis or Gotham or a right. fake city, right? By putting yep. him in New York, um he was engaging the uh stanley and the other writers were engaging the reader and saying this is the world you're in right now this is you as a teenager right now that had its own you know he he had co-opted an existing world which was today's world but he had just tweaked it with you know these guys with super these scientists with superpowers and stuff like that yeah yeah yeah, the, the world building is very different and in comics you know episode by episode the the story kind of kind of demands a certain level of world building good contrast with Tolkien, which was he built the world for his own amusement first, right? Yep. I mean, the, the, he had no intention of becoming one of the greatest writers in the English language. He was just fascinated by what he was just geeking out on what he was into.
0: It okay, just so happened me, to be let, a springboard. Let me ask a the question then. Would you consider, cause we just had a little talk here. Would you consider the Spider-Man universe, maybe the early parts would you actually consider that world building or is that you're already established and you're just you know you're uh, you're doing the setting and character development i like, guess they're actual world building yeah. in the initial spider-man comics it's because so Stanley world.
2: purposely didn't he purposely well, put yeah. him in in you know 1960 whatever today and that was a yeah that was a world building choice but he co-opted an ip which was the generic universe
0: the, of, yeah. around him reality
1: that's true. <clears throat> yeah, our, our, our reality. But, okay, so let's let's look at, um, just really quickly, let's look at Batman and Gotham. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, good point. Yep. So does, like, I mean, the first couple of comics with Batman, do they do a lot of world building in that? Or is it just kind of pay-as-you-go type of thing and each, each issue kind of builds on it? I mean, yeah. I would argue that they did some world building because they needed to establish the darkness of Gotham. Right. Right, they and they did that through. Yeah, that in, they did that through the murder of his parents and the crime that happened there. Right. Right. In order for him building.
2: to be successful as a hero, he had to live in a world where a masked hero could could uh, go from crime to crime, solving mysteries, and that wasn't a, pro- a problem in and of itself. So the world building yeah. was okay. So the police force, with um, you know Commissioner Gordon, you know they're on the same team, and that's that's kind of the trope that that's kind of the sinew that allows Batman to go do whatever he wants is because Gordon knows that he's, he's always on the side of the angels. So but yeah, here, there, there's here, world building there. Definitely.
1: So here, yeah, hundred percent. I agree. I it's, it's, I think it's a different approach than yeah. token, right? Cause token had flushed it a lot, but, but, you know that if somebody's going to be writing a comic, I mean, like they probably said, okay, we're going to write X issues of Batman, yeah. right? Like maybe ten, maybe fifty. I don't, I don't know how much it is. I'm not the biggest Batman expert um, in terms of the comics, but they said we're going to set out and we're going to write this, and they had to have a backstory for consistency, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. they had to have a world that they yeah. had built that what didn't come out into the comics until it was piecemeal through each episode. But they had to have sit down. The writers had to sit down and say, who's the character? What's the world that they're in? What does it look like? Why did they make the choices that they make? Why did they do that? So they did do some world building, but the reader um, just got it, I guess, a little piecemeal.
2: So uh, here's a really important question for world building in gaming, which is why does your universe exist? Yeah. Like, Tolkien's universe exists exists purely because Tolkien was geeking out on languages, right? Um, comic book universes exist because uh, heroes in costumes were selling, you know, instead of—they're yeah. called comics. They used to be collected joke strips with different—little Abner or whatever, and they would right. combine the newspaper strips into a book and sell it. It was just a way of repurposing content, right? And then once superheroes got involved in it, that, that became what comics are, but the word comic doesn't indicate under superheroes. Right. So the yeah. purpose of that universe is to get that reader to suspend disbelief to the point where they can engage in the content want to spend some money and keep coming back for more. Right. And so every universe kind of has a why of why it's, why it can continue to persist. Mm-hmm. Right. If Tolkien never, if if he was never ap- approached by a publisher to write The Hobbit, it all just would have been in his head and his in his office anyway, and he would have taught English literature and ancient English languages till he died. Nobody would it would never have even gone anywhere. There's some other cuckoo guys like Henry Darger and other people that have just written strange universes that with we, we and they were discovered after their passing. we were like, well, this guy was really out there. He had some crazy ideas, and look at yeah. all this fiction. But look at like Star Trek, for example. Star Trek exists because Gene Roddenberry had to sell wagons in space. He was interested in space. He had been a World War II guy. He'd also been a cop, so he understood dealing with people showing up to a planet, showing up to a scene, and dealing with a problem. But he uh, also really enjoyed the idea of what happened on a, on the bridge or in a cockpit of a, of a plane because he was a, a pilot in World War II of uh, bombers that had a crew of 10 men, right? um so star trek existed because he there were stories that he wanted to tell he had to sell certain things to the network the first pilot he did failed so he had to reshoot shoot the pilot which never happens you know and get the studio on board and get and the color of the uniforms actually mattered in the universe too because they were trying to use star trek to sell color tv sets which is why Ah. there's gold and blue and red and all that stuff so the Star Trek universe was just like okay, well, we got greenlit for one season. How many episodes do we have to do? Oh, we got greenlit for a second season, and then that universe doesn't start to gel together as a consistent universe until you know halfway through the first season. Star I, Trek's
0: an interesting premise too, because the whole the whole idea there is that you're exploring this universe or the galaxy that um, every time you have a new episode, you can have a totally different. Uh, amount of world building that happens. Oh, totally different right. setting. Each you episode totally, has a yep. world building. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and and that's okay because the reader or the reader, the viewer knows what they're watching. They're yeah. watching some ship that dives into deep space and encounters some part of the galaxy that is, you know, is totally unique to itself,
2: right? Or can be. Yeah, right. And and the beauty of that universe is it it, it states it, it what it wants to do in the first few, few seconds, you know. Right. <laughs> Space the yeah. final frontier and you get this little speech and you're like, "Okay, that's the premise of what we're doing." And it's an anthology and the strange part is different, which, which strange means this week is not going to be the same
1: as last week.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: So, when you're world building, right, or or looking at kind of the world that you're interacting with, you've got worlds that are created I mean, from when I say from scratch, it's kind of in quotes, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because even Tolkien pulled from a lot yes. of Anglo-Saxon stuff Absolutely. and, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of French history as mm-hmm. well. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff that he was pulling from. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he was using, uh, you know, mythology and, and history as his as his base that he kind of repurposed himself. And he did a great job because I think most people look at it and they're like, huh. That, that's a cool story, you know, and that's cool world building. And then you're like, well, if you look at, you know, Rohan, it's basically all just like yeah. Anglo-Saxon stuff. I mean, yeah. that's all they are, you know. Um, yeah. and, There's you know, a lot the... of
2: Beowulf and Tolkien. Yeah, know. exactly. And, and so... he had it, just like any musician, he had influences, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you got influences, but then you've got IPs that um, are total, I mean, they, they they heavily borrow and they're, I mean, they hang a lantern on it. essentially, of borrowing it. And I think, um, you know, I'm going to probably get some flack for this, but The Witcher is actually one of those that Mm -hmm. um, has heavily borrowed and is blatant about it. uh, Because if you look at the stories, um, and this is more so in the books than the series, but even in the series, there's an interesting, you know, interesting thing that happens but uh the books um most of the stories are are, that are in the books are really just short stories of things that happen to Geralt right on his adventures and what you have in a lot of them are repurposed fairy tales Hmm, and in fact they're the same names like a beauty and the beast but it's like um it's like backwards do you know what I mean or turned on its head a little bit um uh there was the little mermaid, but she was actually a man eating mermaid. Yes. And he had to go kill her. You oh, know what well, I mean? Yeah, he's always gotta go kill something. <laughs> um uh, the whole deal with um Jennifer and the genie in the bottle was mm. essentially Aladdin, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that that he took. Um, so, and he was, I mean, it was very blatant about it. Like you read it and you're like, oh, this is Cinderella, but it's got a twist on it. She's actually a monster. You know what I mean? And this is, you know, this is this. And so, um, it's kind of like the, you know, the other fairy tales that you read, you know, like the untold fairy tales or whatever they are, but you know, it's Witcher style. And so, you know, he used that. Um, it wasn't just influences. It was literally the drivers of mm. his stories as well. He and repurposed I think that, some
2: universal yeah. IPs, told the stories from a different point of view for a different audience for, a, a, yep. and definitely through different tropes and different vibe, different yep. audience, different level of maturity. We're talking about the Witcher here, you know, you know dial yeah. up the maturity.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I think in that sense, it, it worked a lot, you know, and it worked really well. And then throughout those stories, he wove the story between him and Ciri, the princess, you know, and kind of them them becoming basically, um, you know, connected soulmates. Not mm-hmm. like amorously or anything like that, but, you know, the destiny right. You know, they were they were partners of destiny or whatever. So, and usually, um, you these, know, these
2: IPs start out as one thing and then become something else. And I like, think that
1: that is the Witcher one hundred percent. Like you can see that happen. He started out as being like, "Hey, this would be funny." We have this, um, and and the Witcher itself is actually in Eastern European folklore. Yeah, you know that they, they had these kind of superhumans that would take care of the monsters. You know, you would always hire mm. a Witcher who was the monster who would take care of the bad monsters. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, so they he kind of repurposes. He's from Poland, and he would sure. repurpose these sort of Eastern European tales, and then worked in some of the Western European fairy tales into it. But then as that kept going on, like he started bringing his own fairy tale in, which was Siri the princess and and all that stuff. Right. And you and then that morphed into three video games. And then that morphed into a series and then, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so like the world ended up starting building around this core of the alternate fairy tales, which I think is kind of interesting.
2: Yeah. Well, there would be no Star Wars today if Buck Rogers, the guys that own the Buck Rogers IP would have let George Lucas do a Buck Rogers or or is it, or is it Flash Gordon? He just wanted to do a Flash Gordon movie and the IP holders are like, no way. You can't have that IP. You so he went R- and wrote Rogers. his own IP. So the purpose of Star Wars was just a proxy for Flash Gordon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with The Witcher, it was hey, let's go down this road in, a, in to sell novels and and to build out that universe, and then you know it be it, it grew into something beyond itself. I think some universes kind of exist for different reasons. Like for instance, White Wolf Games. You know, starting with the vampire and moving with the werewolf and and, and that universe grew. And the purpose of that whole universe is to play a good role playing game where the story is more important than, in fact, the the stats in a lot of ways. Yes, everybody's got stats and there's it's a regular role playing game. There's stuff that you roll. But if you're not into the lore, you're not playing the game.
1: Right, right. And, you know, it's interesting um, because we have Warhammer 40K on here. Um, is like one of our IPs. And I think that when you're playing a Warhammer 40K game, um, not not necessarily a tabletop, but, you know, like a, a video game or yeah. um, an RPG or something like that, or even a board game, if you're not into the lore, it's not that compelling. But mm. if you're totally into the lore, it is awesome. Yeah, you know, like it's a it's a lot of fun, and so um, and the lore that goes is, with, can yeah. be
2: a big turn off. And I I I, I want I want to like forty k more than I do. Yeah, that's yeah. my problem. But I I just can't see myself forty thousand years into the future thinking that thick armor and a big gun are still what's going to be the thing <laughs> that care. Well, that that universe exists. I said it on a previous podcast. I know we've got forty k and Sigmar fans on the show listening to the show, and I I love them dearly. But really, the purpose of that universe is to sell great minis, and they do a yeah. marvelous job of that, and the minis are amazing. Mm-hmm. But that's what that universe does.
1: Well, it's funny because you mentioned Age of Sigmar, and you know I've, I'm in a text thread with uh, a bunch of, bunch of buddies, and they were talking about um, there's a bunch of new lore that's coming out that's setting up um, for Age of Sigmar that's setting up. I think a Age of Sigmar th- uh, version 3.0. Mm-hmm. And um, it's setting up like the whole world and like there's, you know, a bunch of lore that's that's happening. And um, you know, they're all kind of geeking out on it. And uh, it's interesting because um, they're releasing uh, new models and new rules and things that fit in with this lore right mm. now. So um, for these for these people who play those armies, they go pick up the books because it also gives them the new rules that they can use for their armies. And then they come back and they're like, oh, cool. This is what's happening with all this stuff. Yeah. The story is um, there. And at least it's,
2: at least it's supported by a story that's well thought out and well constructed. Right. You know, and I'm not trying to throw uh, you know, 40 K Sigmar lore in, in, I'm not trying to throw any shade at all, but you know, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm glad it's there because everybody keeps telling me it's there, it's good, it's worth learning, and and, and I believe them. I totally believe
1: them. Yeah.
0: Now it's, it's definitely yeah, very deep, and um, 40k is an example, <clears throat> an example of you've got 40,000 years into the future. Um, you've got so much freedom to work backwards to set your foundation mm-hmm. and to continue to adjust the foundation. Um, for your world building, and I think that's, I think it's important to understand the difference between world building and, versus character and plot development inside yeah. of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because a lot of times with these uh, IP, the world building is very small and it's very simple. Mm. Um, yeah. And then you spend most of your time. Uh, developing the the characters and the storyline inside, without really having any significant impact on the world itself. An example of that is uh, the Walking Dead, Robert Kirkman's Walking Dead, the yeah. comic book. Mm. Um, the uh, in the comic book series, uh, you know, I was following that from early on when it first started, or very soon after it first started. I you think missed I my Geek Week last
2: like, last week. I was on the Walking Dead set, but keep going.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, nice. Well, I, you'll just have to I, mix I,
2: the episode and listen.
0: I will. <laughs> yeah. I will. Uh, but I, I think I picked up probably on episode or not episode, but issue number like seven is when I picked up. Um, and he said, um, Robert Kirkman said, "I don't know what's going to happen with anyone in these books or in in this uh, in this story." He says, "I'm I'm literally writing it as I go," but he had, he, it's such an easy setting, right? It's it's our world, mm-hmm. but um, sometime after some zombie apocalypse occurs, and that's the world, yeah. right there. And he even said, like, you know, what, what is uh, what caused the virus? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's not the point yeah. of the story. Yeah. It does. Like, I don't need to worry about that in my world building. Um. And so all of the development we've had, it really is just plot and character development inside of the world. Mm-hmm. And I think what you do get is you start to get some very small adjustments to your world building as you go. Um, yeah. But I think what it is is it's really you. I would almost argue that it's not necessarily world building, it's setting building inside of your world. Right, mm-hmm. right. But there's anyways, the whole yeah.
2: world where the story takes place somewhere in a world, but then there's a set in that world, and that set yeah. is where the camera's pointed. And that's right. really yep. where the action is. You know, uh, We all fall into the trap of overdeveloping worlds, and we never... Right you know yeah, it's it's yeah. very easy for us to never turn the camera into an area where we spent a lot of mental energy and we go well what, what was that really
1: for
0: right yeah
1: yeah that you know that brings up a good point so if i am a gm right and i'm doing a homebrew campaign or something like that and i want to make a cool world and i'm let's say i'm playing dungeons and dragons and i say okay i am i'm going to put this in the forgotten realm setting mm-hmm. right or and you could argue that I'm going to put this in the Forgotten Realms world for the purpose of this conversation. And, you know, I'm going to put it in this world. And there's some basic rules about that world. You know, there's, like, certain gods that are there. There are certain things that happen. There are certain lands that we know about. You know, there's certain big cities like, you know, Neverwinter and Baldur's Gate and all that stuff. You know, so, they're like, those things exist. Um, but you don't need to worry about building that world. You need to build your set, like you said. Yeah. I need to build so they're in this corner of the world this is the thing that's happening right here right now it's regional if not totally local and the rest of the world who cares we know it's out there um and sure there's some rules that govern this world but what really matters is what you're seeing on the screen you know quote unquote on the screen because of the way that you built your set so you know, i'm going to so.
0: jump then to one of our bullets that the audience obviously can't see but yeah uh... Uh, one of our things that we thought about when talking about this was when uh, and how important it is that you do or do not break canon here, because you know if you have a world that has been established uh-huh. um, and you're just developing a setting inside that world, you know when can it be okay and when can it be destructive to break the canon of the world around you. Uh, when you're developing your setting.
2: Um, I, I have very rigid opinions about this for some strange reason. Um, I think the Canon, sir, depending on the IP you're in, the the Canon is like the on-ramp to get you from the dock to the boat, right? And if you put too many holes in it, it's sometimes the players don't get on the boat, right? Uh, but you can. You, you, you can make adjustments to Canon. And usually when you're playing an RPG you can say hey we're going to put things in this time frame what are your guys's feelings about canon and most of the time I've had this conversation a lot lately they say well we want to do it in this era of Star Wars but we certainly don't want to break canon And, and I think that's because they envision themselves being part of the universe where they could turn around the corner and see the Mandalorian and not say oh well we're in an alt universe where the you know baby yoda's evil and the mandalorian wears black <laughs> armor right They, there's a certain amount of familiarity with the universe that that, yeah. that 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 is comforting and helps the suspension of disbelief so um i'll say that the other thing is that for rpgs perspectives you have to put yourself in a position where the players are not wandering around in the shadows of the real heroes because that mm, gets old mm-hmm, right you have mm-hmm. to say okay this is a place in time where you know so-and-so is not in on is not this movie is not about so-and-so who was just the hero of the last trilogy this this movie is not about ray ray is out there somewhere but who cares what she's doing you guys are the the, you guys are the show that is you can acknowledge the canon have it exist and use it as a springboard to go do other things that are really interesting Um, And depending on how pedantic the geekdom is, like Star Trek people are my people and they will say, well, actually, no, that's not the way that works in Star Trek because of episode whatever. And you'll go, oh yeah, that's right, right. Like you could be playing a Star Trek RPG and somebody would tap the GM on the shoulder and go, no. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that like, yeah. who cares what the rules say, and who cares what GM fiat says, and who cares what the story says? The suspension of disbelief is is has got a problem, and you got to fix it like super quick.
1: Well, I was gonna say what I think Canon does for games is it gives you a rule set. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It gives you guidelines, right, and guardrails. That that's probably a, a good a good thing. It gives you guardrails, and I think that every IP that you go into, especially if you're you know doing a, an rpg it has its um levels of coherence with the canon mm-hmm. i think yeah. you gave a good example that star trek fans are like 99 coherence with the yeah. with the canon but maybe because that Realms, is the way it not is. so
2: much right in dnd yeah exactly
1: yeah. or or you know if you if you play with um you know yeah exactly with dnd or shadow of the demon lord i mean it's like the Wild West in terms of yeah. developing whatever the heck you yeah. wanted to with Shadow of the Demon Lord. Yeah. Who cares? Go play. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I mean, the, the the real main canon, I mean, there's some really cool pieces of canon that Rob Schwab built in there. But really, at the end of the day, like, the only main canon is there's some demon out in, like... Uh, in 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 the nether in the nether in the realm void. in the void yeah. and um it's trying to get in and there's a lot of bad stuff happening and, and, and the, and the universe is, yeah. is
2: you're in a horror movie the gm is going to really figure out where all the camera's going to be pointed on which scene right yeah but you're in a horror movie there's no two ways about that you're not you're not in an adventure movie you're in a horror movie so you better get yeah. on the stick Right. Yep. And that is fun in and of itself. You're like, "Okay, I know my place in this universe." And that's the world building there. Shadow of the Demon Lord says, "Hey, everything that's been kind of medieval aged based, you know, horror, that's where you are today." Okay, all right. Yeah. I'm I'm down exactly.
1: Yeah. So I I do think that canon is important um on some aspects of it. Um we've talked about 40K before and it's Take on canon, which is everything's fungible, you know, <laughs> because because things things um, ended up becoming lost or unknown. And there then, of course, there's the warp that twists everything chaotically. So what may be true in one moment may not be true. And that ends up adding some interesting elements um, that work that you can kind of do whatever you want. I will say this, though. Um, I think that when you break canon it works only if the players are invested in the canon and agree that things could be changed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. so th- the thing is like I could do a Forgotten Realms D&D campaign and break canon and if nobody knows what the canon is they're like okay cool. Sure. You know? Like that's sure. All yeah, right. Okay. All right, we're rolling with it, you know? But if I were to go um you know to Star Trek and be like um, uh, you know the federation now has cloaking devices on their ships yeah everybody's going to throw um, their
2: arms up in the air and say why they'd are we they be like what the heck <laughs> you know but then but why then you're like here?
1: okay well this is uh this is a um this ended up being a rogue fleet yeah. Or not fleet, but maybe like a rogue captain that ended up going over to the Klingons and getting it installed in his thing, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, right. okay, well now you're breaking now you're breaking canon, but in a way that we can play with. There's because, a difference between breaking
2: you know, the camera canon and operating a new story within an existing framework. So breaking sure. canon would be, you know, you know, Spock had twelve wives and three hundred children. Right. No. Like, no, like, no. 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 <laughs> <laughs>
1: breaking cannon. Breaking cannon would be blowing up Vulcan blowing. Okay. You pulled
2: a JJ Abrams. Yes. Yeah. I, I have a, a good friend. I'm going to repeat for yeah. the podcast. JJ yeah, totally. Abrams
1: is a hack. He's a hack.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You want to, <laughs> you want to get some emergency pathos in the movie you're stitching together, blow up a, a, a beloved planet. Try that. See what happens there. Oh yeah. Woo! Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> So yes, that is breaking canon. That's that, that uh, it's an alternate universe. So uh, a lot of me, people do like alternative universe RPGs, but everybody's got to be on board with that, right? You just uh, yeah. you know, you got to say, "Hey, we're going to do a, a, a universe where, you know, Luke fell to the dark side." And that's just what w- what would have happened. You know, let's let's play in that universe. You know, Shadow of yeah. the Demon Lord is what would happen if Sauron
1: won, right? Kind of thing. And that's yeah. that
2: just set that up beforehand. But RPG. that ends
1: up becoming the canon almost. You know yeah, what I mean becomes, because those are the rules that you set, so.
2: So the canon of your game is the most important canon. So this this really kind of drills into our our most important question of the night. Is your world building is it enhancing the game experience or is it detracting from the game experience? Are you having better sessions because of your world building or are you having weaker sessions because of your world building?
1: Discuss. Jason, if I were to if if I were to ask you um, Good night. if I were to you. ask you and say, um, Hey, uh, you know, your world building is detracting from, In our room? The, you know, <laughs> I fix it right you, you Hey, Hey Dan, TV until
0: I can fix it. <laughs> we're going to splice, I, this, out?
2: Gonna splice this out. I thought I hit mute. I thought <laughs> I hit
1: mute.
0: It's okay. It's okay. Sorry. It's easy to cut out. Hold on a minute. I, I put thought a bunch I hit of hit little mute. markers. Yeah. Cut markers. Dan. Don.
1: Don. I, uh...
0: <laughs> Okay, go ahead, all go ahead, Justin. All right,
1: so Jason, if I were to ask you and, and say, like, okay, is your world... Uh, or I tell you, your world uh, building is detracting from the game. What do you think went wrong? Like, you know, like, what happened there?
0: It's a good question, and I'm trying... I've been sitting here thinking about, like, what would actually... What's a scenario that I've played in where the world building has detracted from the gaming experience and i'm i'm struggling. i'm honestly i'm struggling to think about um something there so it could be you know it could be like players just don't really like where the story is headed Uh um in terms of the arc but that and you know um
1: is that real story driven though
0: Well and yeah. that's the thing is and that's what I'm getting at is that is is that really affecting the world building or is it uh you know what what is it so i'm 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 honest i mean I'm being real here on the podcast I'm having a hard time thinking of yeah. a situation I've had in my existence where the world building has detracted from because in my mind world building is not the story it's yeah. It's establishing yeah. the universe that you exist in, that the story plays out inside of.
1: Well, let me let me give you. I'll, I'll tell you this, and and this is probably something I struggle with. I love background. I love history. I love being able to have a lot of what happened in the world um, affect and tie into the story for Mm -hmm. you to be like, oh, cool. Because I think that if you can do it well, it ends up hitting some nice pay dirt, right? Because there's an emotional investment that if you have, if you've got, if you understand the history of why things happen and then like, for example, if you were to run across Romeo and Juliet dead in a tomb and you're like, wow, we just found two dead kids in here. Looks like they killed themselves, you know. Um, That wouldn't mean anything unless you had the the story of the whole Capulets and Montagues going at each other. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that that history matters.
2: matters. Yeah. Yeah,
1: the context matters, and so I do. I'd love having a lot of that world building context, that world building history, and I try to give a lot of it up front before we start a campaign or a game or something like that so that people can get invested in it. The problem is is that not a lot of us have a lot of time just to do a bunch of reading. I mean, this happened what our, our last game, I posted like a book worth of material on the, the Goliaths that you guys were going to go contact out in the wilderness, right? Um, now, I could have been a jerk about it as a DM, and started like really referencing hard all that material as almost a pop quiz to see if you'd done your reading. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I could have, I could have really man. been like, well, yeah, but... what do you, what do you mean? You like, you yeah. should obviously know that Queen such and such is the Queen of the Tiger Tribe and. Therefore, like you know, like you should have known that, you know, and 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 maybe like taking away choices or giving choices because of like you didn't know what had happened, um, in that lore background. So okay, that's so kind I... of what I'm thinking. Yeah. All right. So yeah. I guess
0: if you're if you're thinking of world building detracting from the game experience in the sense of how the GM enforces or unenforces player choice based off of the world that the GM has built, then I guess so. I guess if I was looking at it from, is world building itself detracting? I, I don't necessarily think it is. I think it's just establishing setting. Sure, yeah, Or, or I, uh, yeah. I can, I can
2: say as a player, I've been trying to do stuff in a social encounter where the GM has a very rigid world in his head and the things that I'm saying, I sound like a crazy person. And I'm like, well, no, my character would know how to say the right thing. I just want to roll the dice and yeah, use my sure. charisma score and get some work done here. And the GM looks at me and says, Everyone in the village thinks you're insane. And I'm like, screw you and your stupid story here, because I'm trying to play this game and just because I, I, I don't speak fluent Furbog in real life doesn't should be the thing yeah. shouldn't be the thing that screws me over as a player you know or something like that and that 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 has been a detracting thing um yeah i think it it,
0: seems like that's more gm like a gm issue than it is a world building
2: right well in that sense they're putting the world ahead
1: of
0: the game experience
2: if the gm could could go above yeah it's really the way the gm is playing it but the gm yeah cannot imagine what my character would say in the proper context. Who My character would know the context because he lives in that world, but I don't live in that world. I, I talk like a guy from the year 2021, right? And so that's been a thing. Sometimes, um, like you said, when there's lots of secrets and lots of twists and turns and you're waiting for the players to go turn left and turn right down every corridor and open every box and find every little thing, otherwise the game breaks down, then that, that's a barrier to successful play. Mm,
0: there you go, there you go. So yeah, and we talked about this before as a, as a GM, if you are doing war, world building that's very rigid, you have to be willing to move that cheese and at the expense of a player experience when you're doing an RPG. If if you've got the secret golden crystal skull statue at one place in the universe or in the galaxy and they are just totally off the rails yeah. and they're never going to get there, move the freaking skull, you know? Right. And just change it under under the hood so that they have a better play experience.
2: Right, but if you've drawn out your story and you know that if I do that uh-huh. then it's going to have a ripple effect, you got to you yeah, got to kind of you check go. yourself, you know, about yeah. about your world building. I, the the storytelling is really great because having the ability to turn if the RPG is a documentary and the GM is just chasing the players around with a camera and every time they turn right and turn left the the scene doesn't stop and you're like well you turned left and I know what's there let me tell you what's there that can be a a really enhancing experience that's when you're that's when you're in a real sandbox situation and that can be super immersive and suspend the disbelief And I've been well, able to yeah, do exactly. that because you get steeped in one lore pretty well and you're making, you're making up stuff less as you go. And it's really yeah, you great know, when you, oh, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to speak <laughs> over
1: you. That's okay. I was going to say, uh, you know, so that, that's the, we started out with detracting, right? What detracts from it, you know, and then what enhances it. And so I was just thinking about my example. I put out a whole bunch of material again, like I said, about the Goliaths and To be honest with you i didn't expect hardly any of you to read it although we have like a couple of people in our group that probably read every word and that is their thing they love doing that they love like like reading it and that's partly why i posted it right so that they could have that and have that play experience but um but i you know i i didn't want to make that the focal point of you know okay you have to you have to read this to have a good time in this world type of thing um but enhancing it though Knowing, like, personally knowing as a DM all of that background, all of a sudden that makes me a better storyteller. And that's exactly, I think, what you were saying, Dan, is that, like, um, if you can, if you can on the fly say, okay, well, I already know, like, the politics between these three different tribes... And what they, how they would react with each other when somebody goes to talk to this chieftain and he's talking trash about this other tribe, I can riff off of that because I already know the politics of what's going on. you know. And that makes me the better world builder. That makes me the better storyteller in the moment. Um, and it then immerses the players a little bit more because it feels natural.
2: Right. And, like, for instance, I'll be honest – you know, I, I I had one session where I pulled a random card and they were ransacking the first officers, the ship's room, and they pulled out a scepter. And I didn't want to go into what it was. And the it was a random thing. I pulled a card. It was a scepter. Uh-huh. Weeks and weeks later, I went on to Wikipedia and I found a cool scepter, like a force artifact scepter, and months later, they were like, hey, I want to get this thing appraised. I'm like, oh, you've been carrying around this force artifact, and their mind was blown, right? And then they looked that up on Wikipedia and then they had an article about that scepter. Right. Right. And we were in a game session two nights ago and I'm like, Oh, Hey, you know, Iktach, touch Iktachi, Um, give me the gal- you guys are on Wikipedia right now. Give me the galactic coordinates on that. Cause that matches up one of the sub- the books I have. And they're like, Oh, that's Oh 37. Okay. So I see you on the map. All right. You got three jumps to get to the planet you're going to. I mean, that's kind of some really tight, tight, world building where a lot of people have contributed so much to this world that if you just leverage their contributions you're you're you know that can be fun too if 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 you if you want to do it that way if if that interests you and if that interests your players because then they definitely all felt like they were in the star wars universe when stuff that crazy stuff was happening but it all had a link back to c canon or g canon or something that had happened in a published material yeah yeah anyway i wanted to uh share that sorry
1: yeah no that's great um listen i world building is um i think some people really geek out of it jason and i did a a microsoft or microscope uh podcast of several episodes ago about like actually building your world out as a game yeah that was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun um unfortunately
0: uh uh (laughs) thank you obsidian portal
1: yeah, well, no! It was uh, it was oh, the no. fandom wiki site. Fandom
0: wiki, that's right. Never yeah,
1: mind. they decided no. to just shut down our wiki page. Yeah, and Boom. delete everything. All that work gone. Yeah, it's kind of sad, but we'll have to play it again another time because it was a lot of that's fun to right. build the world, creative juices, you know. And uh, you know, you could you could come up with a lot from that. So you know, uh, I I think there's a lot of lot to be said about working within existing worlds, building your own worlds, like doing your thing. Um, you know, using our world as the inspiration for a lot of stuff and, uh, you know, as you build it out and flesh it out a lot more then your gaming experience will be like very enhanced with those around you as well. Yeah.
2: And it doesn't need to be RPGs. I mean, when you go by a board game and you enjoy the tropes of the, of the, um, uh, the, the IP or the, the, the genre you're in, it's going to be more fun. Like, yeah, there's certain IPs. Like I, I really don't want to go to some, you know, some crap town and, and count how many, you know, kernels of wheat I've produced in a board game. Right. I, I find that super boring, but if I'm counting aliens or if I'm counting laser guns or alien brains, I'm excited, you know, because yeah. that's the world I want to go play in. Um, so it's not just limited to RPGs, you know. Um, game mechanics can can be fun, and there can be fun games, but usually, if it's backed up with a genre that you you like to engage in, it can be way more way more enjoyable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It can be
0: simple too. I mean, a lot of the board games that we pop open, the lore is contained in two paragraphs in the inside of the instruction yeah. booklet, and that's it.
2: And maybe that's all you need. Yeah.
0: That's all you know. There's a yeah. lore
2: about chess. It's you don't just kill the king by rushing your army in there, you know. There's a king, a queen, there's the church, there's you know, the knights and, and the, uh, the the guys defending the towers. There's it's wizard chess. There's there's story there, you know, and, and even that, even that game as old as it is, it doesn't really make a lot of sense without that story where you don't kill the king directly. You manipulate a situation where the king can't get out. Um, and we're talking about you know one of the most basic game gamer games in the universe.
1: Could you explain to me what the, the checkers lore is?
2: <laughs> the checkers lore is is I have a chessboard and I don't know how to play chess. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> There's kings.
2: There's kings, and uh, we you can have multiple kings. Multiple
1: kings. This is this is what happens when we had too many pawns on the board. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and maybe that's why no one ever learns backgammon. We all flip the board over and see backgammon goes. What's with the triangles and the circles? And then we flip it yeah. right back over and go, "Well, yeah. you know, show me the horse."
0: Yeah, you know, so. that's some old game people play, like bridge,
1: right?
2: Yeah, I mean, even the suits on the cards. I mean, look at how many different manufacturers will manufacture a different kind of deck with different, you know, instead of different suits and stuff, because it suspends disbelief. You know, it gets you engaged, and this king is actually this or this this idea or that idea or this kind of person or that kind of person people make money doing that every day and, did you
0: guys uh, always grow up thinking that the jack was the son of the queen and the king no
2: no i always thought he yeah, was kind of I a, think that's... A, a, a kind of a duke, a duke. type
0: or a, a, duke. Like duke, yeah. a knight type character a sidekick yeah well your lord's different than mine. exactly uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> my world in my world right the well, Jack is the illegitimate son. Oh, nice! Right. I like it. King the illegitimate the, son. I don't know. Do.
2: The Spade um, is a is a sword. The Club is a club, right. right? You know, Hearts are obviously Hearts and Diamonds are material wealth. I mean, there's stories the in everything we do. Yeah, this. I
0: always thought the Spade was for working in the King's guard or the Queen's. No, guard. It's, it's, the it's the tip of a spear. The tip. I know. Spear. I'm used. <laughs>
2: But see, even that, even these games that we take for granted and we don't even see the story in, in them anymore still have a story.
1: They still yeah. have a story. There's still some world world building lore in there.
2: And, and if you go to Gen Con and you can see somebody who's working on a brand new game mechanic that they think is awesome and they have really basic pl- pieces like round circles and stars and stuff like that, you always look at it and go, let's go find the table with the big models. <laughs> 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 you just keep walking. You're like, oh. I hope they have fun let's go find some big cool models so anyway great conversation gentlemen yes Yes, sir absolutely
1: absolutely thank you so much for the topic and uh everybody thank you for listening um i will say this that uh i feel like we need to have a prize soon because we're getting close to episode 50. oh hey uh, our our
2: buddy nate just won a prize he just became a grandfather today
1: hey oh, congratulations hey. Nate. All right. yeah, go figure. very nice very nice uh, he you was win on our podcast yeah he yeah, was <laughs> our first
2: our, oh here's another thing i put in my geek week i had dinner with um a great uncle of mine a couple oh. nights ago and uh actually it was last night in fact with a great uncle I found out he plays star trek online
1: oh nice uh-huh. <laughs> Nice, that's hilarious. He's seventy
2: and is playing Star Trek. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, yes, yeah. To your point, we should do some so kind I, of a contest. Who's yeah, gonna Who's I, gonna I, put I, in some cash or some dough or some custom painted minis or something? Yeah, compelling. I'm trying to
1: think of uh, what uh, what what we can do. So we'll get together. We'll figure it out. Maybe I'll put a question out on Facebook. What kind of prize would people like? You know, for. Uh, for our fiftieth episode, uh, the other thing that um, I had floated to Jason the other day, Dan, was that I think that we're going to nominate this podcast for an Any Award.
2: I think we should, and we should I think not. We should too. And we should not get our hearts broken for when we don't get it.
1: I agree with that too. But you know what? Like, we want to put this out for our listeners because we're gonna need your votes. Yeah. That's We're right. Gonna gonna all five, them. All five of them. <laughs> an Emmy-nominated
2: podcast. Uh, I was on a podcast that won an Emmy Award once upon a time in my podcasting nice. history. Wow. Now and you can make it, too. Let me just tell you, the same that same year, the Dice Tower guys threw a lot of shade at my pals who ran that show. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was That's a lot funny. of stink eye got thrown around from our good friends at the old Dice Tower. Oh, Tom Vessel and his crew.
1: All right. Well... Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll see them at Gen Con Jason. Yeah. We'll be able to like throw down like Anchorman. Yeah, no, <laughs>
2: yes, yeah, right. <laughs> right, You guys are right. a bunch of upstarts. You don't have any listeners. We'll start
0: putting uh, we'll we'll start putting tabletop and beyond stickers like all over their set. At <laughs> yeah, Worldcon.
1: Brick, where did you even
2: There's get another a net. one of those stickers? <laughs> Brick, where did you get a what? What did he have? A net. Yeah, <laughs> where did you even get a... that?
0: Escalated quickly. <laughs> Cutting arms off. It was awesome.
2: And then when it really just blew the doors off of it is when it went to the PBS guys and the Telemundo guys. And I was like, (laughs) oh, my gosh. The the rest of the movie is just bread on the sandwich.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) All right, gentlemen. Thank you for the podcast. Thank you to our listeners. And uh, keep it real.
0: All right. See you. Bye.